Welcome to Conversations on Coast Access Radio. In this program we have conversations with people about their interests, their lives, the things that motivate and excite them. So relax and enjoy this conversation. My guest today is Paul Bright, who many will know from Bright's Photo Lab here in Waikanae. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, thank you. Major change coming up in your life. You're uh, shutting the doors of the shop after, what, 20-something years? Yeah, 22 years. It's um, it's, going to take a bit of getting used to. Um, Yeah, it's been a a great run and, um, yeah, certainly some changes in the wind. Right, so the first so, question is why, because people yes. will always be speculating that um, you know, on all sorts of things. Yes. So why are you calling it quits? Well, it's it's nothing too dramatic. It's um, it's not because I haven't got enough work. I've got had plenty of work, lots of customers, great customers, and it's not because of COVID either. I'm sure I could work my way through that as well. It's just simply that I've been there for 22 years. I opened in January in 2000. And after 22 years, um, I'm feeling it's time to sort of move on to another chapter of my life, really. Right. Um, I've got lots of projects at home and, and oh, things to do. your wife has got yeah. a list of several oh, pages. And then some. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's that simple, really. It's just, it's been a great run. I've had great customers. It's been yeah. a lovely shop and, I, and I've really enjoyed it. But it's just simply time to... Time for a change. Time for a change. Time for me to move on. So, oh. yeah. And, and that's it, really. <laughs> now, we, we chatted the other day, and we, you told me just what you've said now, mm-hmm. and I thought it would be a very interesting interview to talk about the changes you've seen in those 22 years in photography. I guess you had a photographic interest before the uh, the, the shop period. Yes, uh, I did have a little bit of a um, an interest in photography, but it was fairly minor. Where I originally got into the industry um, was um, by trade. I'm a mechanic, and I was um, I had a little bit of photographic interest, and I applied for a job in a photo lab, and um, as an assistant. And he said he couldn't pay me enough as an assistant. And a couple of weeks later, he rang back and he said, "Love he the guy who was running his lab had." Um, had left, and um, he he would love me to come in and run the lab. And I said, well, I don't know really anything about photography as far as that. And he says, no, but I really would like you to be able to fix my machines. Because <laughs> um, uh, at the time, it, uh, if his machine broke down, it cost him a couple of grand to get a technician up from, from Wellington right. and a day of no production. Right. So whereas I could fix and service his machines, and he said I could teach you photography, that's no problem. Them, but mm-hmm. I really want your mechanical skills, and that's how I got into it. Right, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was, and because uh, it's a bit, bit weird going from mechanicing to photography. Oh, indeed. But, but anyway, so yeah, I, I jumped, and um, yeah, and never looked back really. And you jumped in at a point where the huge technology wave came through. 
It was a little bit before that when I jumped in. It was right. still well embedded in 35mm. Yeah. The, te- the technology had gone from the big processing lab, there was the Kodak lab in Pororua, mm. and all films kind of went there. And then they started producing these mini labs that the pharmacies could have, which was a little mini machine that would do the processing of the films. And that's when I jumped in, right. when we had these mini labs right. and um, the introduction of those. Um, this is well before digital was even, you know, dreamt up. Right. Although Kodak had one or two things. But, um, yeah, then I, um, yeah, dived into that and spent, spent a number of years running labs for other people and such like, then came and worked for Barry Herbert in the oh, pharmacy right, and why can I here running that lab. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he amalgamated with another lab and then they decided they didn't have enough room for the photo lab and decided they wouldn't do the photo lab, which kind of, that was my job, really. (laughs) So I thought, well, I know my customers and there's a good little business here. So I opened the doors in my own business. And um, that was around when digital was coming in, too, around the 2000s. So you must be one of the longest existing businesses here in the Waikanae Town Centre. Yeah, Rob and I were were trying to think about anyone, and yeah, I'd be right up there. Um, there may be the, the takeaways on the corner there. They've been yep. there for a while. But most of the other um, businesses have sort of come and gone to some degree or changed owners mm. or mm. something, yeah. So, yeah, I've certainly seen them come and go right. uh, over the years. <laughs> I was going yes. to chat to you about the change in technology, and really it breaks down into a into a number of subsections, doesn't it? There's the processing, the cameras, the film, and the processing. Yeah. So wh- where do we start? Let's yeah. talk about mini labs. Yeah, well, mini labs, um, they went through a lot of changes as well because in the beginning they were very much analogue. Um, it was all done, um, and while there were some electronics in there, um, it was all old transistor technology right. um, with... Um, yeah, discrete um, components. Yeah, yeah, and and the film, the image was was the light source went through the negative, and onto the paper direct. You know, right. um, and that was sort of a dark room, sort of modernised, if mm. you like, and it was very. And your colour reproduction was quite varying. Transistors aren't the most reliable, Indeed. and they're reliant on temperatures, so you you get a sort of a colour tone in the morning and it would be different in the afternoon because the machine warmed up and that things would be like that. Wouldn't it? Uh, very and um, but we had um, what we call master balance and I had master balance corrections and yes. that I would correct through the day. <laughs> and things like that came down to how well you knew your machine mm, as to mm. how your colour balance would change through the course of a day. And it was very much knowing your machine, which so colours could vary from lab to lab, depending yes. on how well the person with the machinery knew the machinery right. to correct for colour biases and things like that. Um, but you were still having to handle chemicals very much within so. the machines? Very much so. Now, have the chemical basis stayed constant and just the machines changed around us? No, the chemistry's changed, the papers have changed. Um, so in the beginning, um, back in the 70s, 80s, you generally used a, um, a chemical process called EP2, 
Um, and you'll notice now, looking back, some of your old photos might have changed colour a bit. We have wedding mm. photos taken in 19, 31st of August 1974, yeah. just to save, save yeah. myself, <laughs> and they've turned yellow. Yeah. Yeah. The all the yellows bleached, bleached through, through and yeah. all the other colours have, have disappeared Absolutely. out. Absolutely. So they would have been printed on, on EP two paper. And one of the downsides was that that was the sort of you know, playing around with the early stages of colour. And so understandably it takes a little while to right. get and you don't know they don't always know how these things are gonna last. And E B two wasn't a very stable process. Um at the beginning when you first print them, they were fine, but they didn't have a very long good longevity and right. colour stability. Um so yeah, in about I'd say the early nineties, somewhere around the mid nineties, they they changed to a, a an RA4 process um, from EP2. The EP2 chemistry was horrible too. The developer, um, it was like mixing oil with water. It didn't. Right. You have different parts, part mm. A, B, and C, and you mix it up sort of together. And they, they did not; those components did not want to mix together. Right. <laughs> so you had to set your mixer going to mix those up and leave them mixing for an hour or two to try and mix them together. So the chemistry was kind of fighting itself, mm. and mm. that's never a good sign. But anyway, RA. Four was a completely different process, and it was much better, far more stable, and and much nicer chemistry, if you like. Um, and yeah, so and that's pretty much stayed right through now. Right, um, the RA four process. But the mini labs have changed, and they've gone to digital processing. Indeed, and away from the old transistors that warmed up and cooled down. And yeah. Yep, no, we've gone to around the 2000s, um, early 2000s, we, everything was going digital and, and from that point on most you mean machines, they didn't print directly from the negative and that the, the negatives were scanned. And um, right. and and that's what it is now. So the negatives are scanned at high high resolution, and then they're digitally printed um, onto the paper um, by various means. My my particular machine prints via visible lasers um, through a process like that. So it scans the negative, and then um, it's a digital image then effectively. And that also allowed to to print from digital files right. as digital was coming in as well. So it. It gave us a cross between negative and digital, and we could we had kiosks and a an input computer, if you like, that you could load up your digital files, mm. and then it could print onto photographic paper um, from a digital file. Right. Yeah. You've just raised well, not a tangent, but I was going to ask you that as well. Is the whole computer processing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Think back to the early two eight sixes and yes, such, I know. which didn't have enough horsepower to pull a chook off its nest. I know. Through to now, to really powerful, yeah. even home computers yeah. with a huge amount more processing power. Absolutely, absolutely. It's changed horrendously. Yeah, I mean, you know, just the whole digital everything has mm. just changed, and some of the early digital cameras. They really struggled for a decent image, you know. Well, yes, you could get an image. It, it was there was no way it was comparing to negatives, right. um, mm. you know. And there was there was that comparison everyone made, you know, from digital to negatives. And uh, for many years, people were going, oh, you know, this digital stuff, it's it'll never be as good as mm. film. 
um, and and that that rendered the whole resolution race between camera manufacturers trying to get the resolution, mm. you know, the clarity up to film standards and and things like that. And um, yeah, that was quite interesting. Um, some of the I've still got some of the old cameras, and the the um, yeah, you can just about count the pixels on the photos. Mm. I've um, still got yeah. my old Minolta. SLR. Yeah. It is a beautiful camera. Absolutely. It clicks and winds yeah. and shutters and oh, definitely. But yeah. can you buy film now? You can, you can. And um you will be able to for as you know, for a while yet. Um having said that, right at this point in time there is a manufacturing shortage. They are having problems with um some of the raw materials required right. to make film. So there is a bit of a global shortage. Um but that's only a temporary thing I'm sure. And um yes, you, you can buy film, you can buy thirty five mil. They have very much limited the the range. Mm. Uh used to be able to get all these things, um all sorts of different types. Um yeah, but that's reduced. But you can still get film. Is there anybody left in New Zealand still processing? Most definitely. Um I, I was processing. Um I was hand processing them in the dark room. I went back to the old Patterson tank just because I have the knowledge of being able to do it. Mm. And they came out really nice because I was using fresh chemistry all the time. Mm. Um but WPS, Wellington Photographic Supplies, they are still processing film. Right. They're in Petone, they've just moved to Petone. Um, mm. but they're great. They oh. they will happily develop your film for you. Um, there's some other labs around. Um, there's Camera Place up in Levin, and while they don't process it on site, they will be able to organise right. it for you, you know, right. and sort it out for you. So it is doable. When you look at a high quality print from an old SLR printed on paper, etc., and you compare it to the very latest digital camera and processing, yes, what's the difference? Is one better? Can you detect any difference between the two? Yeah, it they I they do have a little bit of a different look. I find um, it is hard, it, it sort of, because there's two parts to it really. Um, there's the so it's hard to distinguish exactly what we're talk what you're talking because um, there's the the capture side of it. Film versus digital camera, mm-hmm. and in a print, there's also the print side of it. Mm. Um, um, old school print were all done on optical machines. Um, if you go back, whereas nowadays everything's printed digitally. Mm. So it's not just the image capture; it's also the printing process. Right. Even if you've caught it on film these days, that's scanned and then still printed digitally. Right. So you know, um, and I love an old school print off film um, that's been printed optically. And when everything's right, their prints are stunning. They're absolutely magic. Mm. And um, they do have a different look. I, I, there's no do, two ways about it. It's a bit of an X factor. You, mm. It's hard to really put a finger on exactly. I'm not sure if it's sometimes digital, modern stuff can maybe look a little bit over-sharpened maybe. Um, sometimes I've seen digital, modern digital prints on some of the modern digital printers. Um, I find sometimes the colours can be a bit oversaturated. Right. So sometimes like if you a photo of a, of a lawn and the Green, the grass is 
is just green. It's in the intensity. It's mm-hmm. it's a false green. It's it's not true. You know, mm. um, I have seen that on some of these digital processes. Mm. And w- the different one of the big differences between film versus digital is that digital is printed digital differently in that every single pixel holds its own color value and is printed as per that value, mm. whereas film. The whole thing is printed as one. Right. <laughs> so with a, with a negative or old school printing, if you knew, and we used to use people's skin tones as a colour reference because mm. skin tones generally are much the same. And you could, and once you get one colour right, all the other colours would fall into place. Right. Whereas with digital, just because you got the reds right doesn't mean the blues are going to be right because they're all the colours are printed individually. Right, right, <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, in a way it was a little bit easier in the old days because mm. you could just get one colour right and everything else would just fall into place. Over the last few years, you know, I've talked about the issues of the size of the lens. Yes. That people snap a photo with their camera and with with their um, cell phone, I should say. Yes. And, okay, it's not a bad-looking photo. Yes. But you can't beat a nice big lens because it Absolutely. it's more, more more light through. Yes. Well, well, when we go through a lot of changes, we've been through a lot of changes, but there are some things that really haven't changed at all. Um, even though we're capturing these the images on different devices, um, for instance, lighting hasn't changed. Lighting, light values um, are still exactly the same. Um, lens, light going through a lens, um, those values are very much um, still apply. It doesn't matter if it's digital or film. Mm. F-stop, shutter speeds, shutter speed is the same whether it's mm. digital or film. Um, those things still apply. And um, yeah, so, and, and when you get a bigger lens, you simply get more light coming through that lens. And that allows for a device to use a faster shutter speed which can stop camera blue, you know, shake mm. and things like that. Um, and that doesn't matter if it's digital or film, it still applies. And unfortunately, with these phones, well, they, they're basically taken on a pinhole. They, if you have mm. a look at the lens, the tiniest little lenses, not a lot of light coming through those little lens. So it's fine, they're great in daylight, and what we see time and time again is where, pe- where they struggle is when you are in low light situations right. or fast moving situations. And both those um, scenarios are kind of shutter speed related. So for a little lens in a, in a phone um, to take a good photo at night time, um, you need need more light coming through, mm. and so the the device has to use a longer shutter speed. So with longer shutter speeds, you're going to get a bit of blur. You know, it's just the fundamentals that, of the physics of, don't change. That's exactly right. Hence, professional photographers are still using cameras, yeah, cameras. with, with yeah. big lenses. Big lenses, and, exactly, mm. and they're still out there. I mean, they are they're getting better with the phones. They are making the the. The CCD, which is the actual capture device mm. in behind the lens, they're making them more sensitive to light and they're making improvements as technology mm. does. And they're and getting better. And honestly, some of these phones are pretty amazing. Yes, I've they seen really one of the, are. the later iPhones. Yes. It actually has three lenses. That's right. Do yeah. they take a different colour on each lens or do they take three snaps and combine them together? I'm pretty sure. Um, 
they t- actually the fact they've got three lenses they're taking three separate images and um yeah giving you the option of of working through them right. yeah um i think they're at they're not so much they're more um different zoom ranges right. so you've got close up mid-range and oh, zoomed yeah, in right. yeah yeah but don't quote me on that because sure. i'm not that familiar with them you know, the but, other yes. area that you've um you've come from is people can keep negatives and photos in yes. an album. Yes. If they want another copy. Yes. Do you remember the guy who brought the CD into you some years ago and he had lost the key to un- unlock it? Unlock it. Yeah. And yeah. we tried, but there was yeah, no way no. we could get into it. No, that's that's a danger of digital. There's, there's a number of dangers with digital. The beauty of negative slides and photos is um, they're a physical image. Mm. It doesn't matter what technology does, it's a physical, we'll always be able to do something with that. You know, we'll be able to scan it, photograph it, whatever, because it's a physical image. Um, The problem with digital is that ones and zeros is binary. It's just ones and zeros, it's just data. And, And there's hundreds of thousands of little bits of information to create one image. You know, people think, I think, People think that there's a little digital image on their on their card, right. you know, that there's this little photo <laughs> sitting in that little card. There's not. It's numbers. It's just mm. numbers, and that's all referenced um, to colour codes and mm. all sorts of things. Um, and it's so corruptible. It's it's just not even funny. Um, so, archivally speaking, really. Um, negatives and and prints and slides are probably going to be around. I mean, they deteriorate as well. But um, but if you're wondering how to back up your, um, your digital data, um, your photographs and anything that you want to be around, um, really for photographs, print it, get a print done. Um, that's about the only way. There is no 100% sure way of backing up your data to know that it's going to be available mm. in 50 years' time. There's nothing, you know, um, because technology changes. Yes. It's its own worst enemy. It changes so fast that, I mean, there's floppy disks. I mean, what computer has a floppy disk anymore? Exactly. And, now you know, yeah. seven inch or three inch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and nothing. That's gone, the technology, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a. But. Uh, the only thing I would say with backing up your own data, uh, because it's so corruptible and easy to lose, the only way around that is is to do um, duplicates, duplicate yes. it. You know, quantify all your photographs, um, put them on, with them onto a USB, you know, or external hard drive, and do multiple copies mm. um, here and there. And you know, um, yeah, one of my customers has uh, three external hard drives, and every six or twelve months he gets those all together and pushes everything he's got onto those three hard drives, and then keeps one at his his mother's place, one right. at work, and one at one at his home. So you know, if his house should burn down, he's got copies mm. of them everywhere. And that ultimately, when it comes to digital, is about all you can do. Because you know, I, I thought I'd be smart. Mm. I brought a reasonably expensive hard drive, copied all my photos onto it, and thought, I've done the right thing. Yeah. I didn't use it for perhaps six months. Yeah. And this drive had, was only a year or two old. Yeah. Plugged it in. It didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Time decayed, yeah. um, a, a capacitor or something in the power yeah. supply. Yeah. 
um, you know, luckily of of a tick, so I was able to recover, recover it. it. Yes. But for a few hours, there was a wee bit yeah, of perspiration in the room. Absolutely, yes. yes. I've done that for a number of customers. Um, yep, come in with a with a bad hard drive, and yeah, same same with you. Um, I managed to dive in and, mm. and recovered a number of hard drives. Um, but that's the danger of it. Mm. There is also, I'd say, um, the cloud, um, iCloud, yes. and and places like that. And Google have um, storage, and that's great. Um, and they they have their uses, uh, especially if you've got like an iPhone or whatever, and you lose your phone. If it's all uploaded to iCloud and such like, you can just simply buy a new phone and grab it all again, and that's mm. wonderful. The only thing I would like to point out, though, and this is a little bit of a misconception. Those places, they are a bricks and mortar building. <laughs> people do seem to, and it's a good name, iCloud, and people think that it's just out there, mm. you know, somewhere. It is in a building. It is in a, they have, have massive servers and they do have multiple offsite servers to back up because they do backups yes. as well yeah. and things like that. But, and I, I, I wouldn't be not completely myself comfortable with putting relying solely on them. So I absolutely use them as an extra backup, yes. but not the only backup. Mm. <laughs> I keep stuff myself on that I have access and I can control. If one of those, if something should happen and there's a massive earthquake and their building falls down, you know, your stuff's gone. Yes. You know, so in the it, end. It's, well, I've got a box of photos taken of my grandfather yeah. the weeks before he sailed off to Gallipoli. Mm. Now, those photographs are still in perfect condition. Nice. They're big. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they're only, well, they're not really black and white. They're kind of a, a brownie, sepia-coloured and white. Yes. But I still have them. Yes. And my fear is that in 50 years' time, yes. we're going to have this big hole in our history. Yes. I think that's a fear shared that, all around the world, isn't it? That is a view that's shared with a lot of historians as well. We, you know, um, we just get caught up in, in this, you know. Um, I don't know a way around it, and, I, you know, it's just the way the gen everything goes, and mm. sometimes you just don't have the control to it. But, yes, it is a very much concern. And, I mean, um, at the moment, um, all computers binary, essentially. And, you know, what happens when, and there is talk of, computers to going to a completely different um, data reference you know and and that isn't binary and they're faster and mm. all this um, which is all very well but in 50 years time what that would mean is that are they going to be able to still read binary and if they're not going to be able to generally read binary everything we're doing and everything we've done for the yeah. last 20 years will not necessarily be accessible so what do you recommend? I've got, let's say I've got 50 photos that I've identified as crucial family history. Yeah. Do I print them out on ordinary paper out of a inkjet printer mm. or get them printed by a photo lab on proper photo paper? Mm. And Well, there's a few options there. Um, so what I would say is your home printer that, that you buy from the local retail store and you plug it in and go, woohoo, and they're, they're cheap as chips. So they use inks. Um, and those inks are not really UV fast. They're just standard run them out um, inks. 
and um, I've seen it time and time again. I go to friends' place, and they've just run off a photo on, mm. their, on their little home printer, and that's fine. Um, they stuck it on the fridge, and then 12, 12 months later, it's changed colour. Yes. And and more than that, it's faded, and that's because a lot of those inks are not UV fast. They right. will fade just with standard UVs. But, however, you can get um, chrome dye, um, which are dyes mm-hmm. rather than inks. Now, chrome dyes are UV fast, and so a lot of the printers are capable of using chrome dyes, um, and they are UV fast, and they will make your photos last you know, tenfold. Right. Yeah. So you can print, if you print on photo paper with chrome dyes, um, you know, some of the longevities they're, they're quoting, you know, um, are pretty good, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. And if it's folded into an album, that's Yeah, better. that's right. If it's out of light and it's in a, a dry, mm-hmm. you know, um, dry cool place <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's on chrome dyes, um, you'll get, you know, that's not bad, right. not bad at all. Um, I mean, I I actually, my machine, which is one of the reasons I went for my machine, because my machine is actually what you call silver halide. So that's your traditional photographic mm. paper. The beauty of that, and I, I only ever printed on um, archival photographic paper. So my prints have a longevity of 80, 90, 100 years. Um, that was one of the beauties of, of my prints. Um, so that's a traditional developer bleach mm. and all that. Um, a lot of the print labs now... Um, are using what they call dry labs, which then they do use chrome dyes, so they should have a good longevity. Oh. Um, the quoted longevities vary, um, and it, there's a lot of variables in how long an image will last, depending on how it's stored and where it, you put it in direct sunlight, and everything fades. Exactly. So you know, and from there, there's so many variables. Um, but yeah, so but. He's not, but the problem with silver halide is you're dealing with chemistry and everything. So a lot of labs are going away from that because it's right. a bit messy with chemistry, and so most of them are going dry lab now. Um, yeah, I hate to say, it, but we've run out of time. Yeah, sorry. So <laughs> on behalf of the, of your customers and folk, thank you for the last twenty two years. You've oh, been a source of open. knowledge and um, mm. long detailed conversations yeah, and, um, and printed photos. So yeah, yeah. we wish you well for the next twenty two years and, and what that holds. Wonderful, thank you, Graham. And I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my customers. They're fantastic. Um, why can I? They just they are just great to chat to, and um, they've just you know been there all the time. And just we've gone through. We went through some financial um, crisis and my customers were there for me. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so Brilliant. it's been great. Yeah, Good. And uh, just time to, I'm looking forward to the next chapter, I guess, and, and what I'm doing. So, yeah, Excellent. it's wonderful. Well, Thank you. My guest today has been Paul Bright, Bright's Photo Lab and Why Can I, which closes the doors this week. You've been listening to Conversations on Coast Access Radio, a program where we talk with people about their lives, their passions, their interests. I'm Graham Joyce. This program is made with assistance from New Zealand On Air for radio broadcast and through the accessmedia.nz website. Thank you, New Zealand On Air.